Welcome to Midtown Conversations, KW's community water cooler. My name is Matthew Rappelt, and today we've got a very exciting interview for you. By now, most people are aware of how unaffordable the local renting and real estate market has become. But did you know that there is a cooperative organization right here in KW committed to changing that? Union Sustainable Development Cooperative, or Union Cooperative for short, is an organization based locally and they've just announced the purchase of two apartment blocks on Lancaster Street in Kitchener with the goal of creating a safe and affordable housing community for residents. Today, Sean Campbell, the Executive Director of Union Cooperative, joins our program to talk about this groundbreaking development. Welcome to Midtown Conversations, Sean. Thanks for having me, Matthew. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're super excited to have you and really excited to talk about this amazing project. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you get involved in cooperatives? Yeah, so I'm a lifelong resident of Waterloo Region. I, I went to school here at, at Laurier and University of Waterloo. Uh, I'm still I'm a, one of those forever students, so I'm doing my PhD at the University of Waterloo now, looking pretty much at this. How do community organizations raise funds in order to buy uh, property and bring it into community ownership out of the speculative market and build community wealth. Uh, for myself, I got really excited about cooperatives in part because of my partner Alex over at Together We're Bitter, TWB uh, Brewing Co-op. And, you know, there are a few things that start a revolution more than bending an elbow at a, at a brewery and talking about social justice and cooperatives. So that certainly got me excited. But I also have the opportunity because I work as a nonprofit and charity consultant I have for uh, since I graduated university and undergrad, I had the opportunity to work with uh, a local charity, Reap Green Solutions, a number of years ago. And we were looking at how can we afford to finance home energy retrofits? We know that we need to make houses more energy efficient. Could we come up with a creative model of how we can make uh, homes more efficient by providing low interest, flexible loans? So I was tasked with looking across Canada to see, you know, what creative models are communities using elsewhere? And we came across the Community Economic Development Investment Funds in Nova Scotia, or CDFs. And they were created after the collapse of the fisheries as a mechanism to bring money back out of Wall Street and Bay Street and encourage folks to invest it locally within their own community and small businesses, nonprofits, charities. And it's been really successful bringing millions of dollars into their community. Now, this was a really special structure set up by the government, and for the most part, it hasn't been replicated across Canada, but certainly that need is still there. And in this small rural Albertan town of Sangudo, Alberta, between Edmonton on your way out and uh, out in Jasper, you'll pass by Sangudo. And it was experiencing what a lot of small towns was experiencing, that young people would grow up and they'd move off to go to school and they wouldn't come back because there were no jobs. And for them, the, the straw that broke the camel's back I'm sure there's got to be a more like, I'm a vegetarian. There's got to be a, an alternative to that expression. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all, all the same, uh, they was the meatpacking plant was going out of business. Again, not a great vegetarian story. But, you know, it was not great for the town because it provided a lot of great jobs. And many folks in the surrounding area were cattle farmers. So they'd have to ship their cattle further away, it would cut into their margins, and it would further lead into the decline of this town. So also inspired by the CDF model out in Nova Scotia, which they couldn't replicate in Alberta, they said, hey, what if we use co-ops instead? And they created the 
Sangudo Opportunity Development Cooperative, which is what inspired our name. And they pooled their funds together in this co-op. They bought the business from the retiring owner who couldn't find anyone else who wanted to buy a rural Alberta meatpacking plant. They fix it up. They gave a long-term low-interest loan to two young men who had been working in the factory. All these years later, it's still going strong. And they've used that same model to build single-family homes and help start a coffee shop. Now, I always joke that as a meatpacking, as a vegetarian, a meatpacking plant doesn't get me too excited. But if you go over to Vancouver, you see the same model being used to support social entrepreneurship and nonprofit housing organizations and local food organizations as well. So it seemed like we had something here. That's super cool. I love the fact that this is happening in different spots all across the country and that Waterloo region, KW is now sort of joining that movement. And what you talked about in terms of, you know, young people growing up in a certain place and then not being able to find housing um, that's affordable to stay there, that's certainly relevant to our area. I grew up just down the road in Fergus and I mean, looking to purchase a, a house or looking for rent in that area, it was like, I don't know if I can actually afford to go back to the place that I grew up in. I may have to look at some different different spaces that are maybe a little bit more affordable. And I think we're seeing that here in the region. Um, so that's really interesting to hear that that's sort of a movement that's across Canada and certainly filling a need here locally. Yeah, and actually the movement kept going. So Minneapolis down in the States were inspired by this small farming town of Sangudo. And they created the Northeast Investment Co-op to revitalize an old warehouse and they fix it up and in there now is Minneapolis's only worker co-op brew pub and a German style bakery and a bike shop. And we saw that and was like, wow, that would make a lot of sense here in old Berlin. Um, but what really got us going and this is all in my story here before I, I take up our whole show on, uh, on the winding narrative of, of co-ops is down in Oakland, there's the East Bay permanent real estate co-op or EB Prec. And it's a, uh, a Black-owned cooperative that is intentionally created to push back against gentrification, rising rents, and to bring community, uh, bring land ownership into community as well. And so we now see this migration from this approach out in Nova Scotia as a response to the fisheries to a small farming town in Alberta that was working to create something when there wasn't that structure bringing it down to the states, focusing on commercial real estate. And now we see it being used for affordable housing and community control. So we bring that back to Ontario and we see the great work being done by community land trusts, nonprofit housing co-ops, but often struggling to find the resources they need to buy land or build, but also this renewable energy co-op movement in Ontario that has been successful at raising tens of millions of dollars. What if we bring all these traditions together and try something really unique here in Waterloo region? Super cool. And first of all, I have to say, St. Gudo, truly punching above its weight there. That's, I mean, inspiring so many great stories in places across North America. Kudos to them. Um, and then also, I mean, you've talked about this sort of idea of, you know, the cooperative idea and how you were inspired by different spaces around the continent. But how did Union Cooperative kind of come together locally? What was the story of this particular organization? Yeah, so there was 10 founding members that all came together in 2018 when we incorporated and we really incorporated with a, a fairly rough idea so there was a meeting of uh, about six months earlier where i had proposed this to a, a room full of people at the kitchener public library in one of the meeting rooms in the basement and it was a great conversation we weren't quite sure where to go from there so we kept plugging along a few of us and then decided you know let's let's really make this happen so we incorporated in 2018 and 
we kept working on developing the model. We got a few grants that allowed us to build out our articles and our bylaws more to put together some of our business plan and subscription documents. And in the process, we started meeting more people who made us feel like, you know, we were on the right track. Folks from Kindred Credit Union and the Cooperatives and Mutuals Canada, the Ontario Co-op Association. And there was enough encouragement along the way that, you know, you're not crazy. There's something there. Let's keep pushing on it. And then we had a few more wins that happened. We had a, a local housing charity reception house that said, you know, we think this is neat and we'd love to be able to work with you on, uh, on your first property. And you know, that was many years ago. And, and we're hoping that we can still explore opportunities of working together. But, you know, between having a few of these institutional partners, a rough business plan, a few members and the support, it allowed us to get onto the front page of the record back in 2019. And that helped propel us into getting a few more members. And finally, a CMHC grant that let us um, really focus down and, and help work on developing out all the key pieces. And we were talking before this call about uh, a mutual friend, Sean Gobi, over at the University of Waterloo, who also happens to be both one of our early members and my PhD advisor um, himself and, and another professor over at Constable College, Anthony Piscitelli. Uh, were really instrumental in helping to do a lot of this early research of developing these tools of making this this work. So bringing together, you know, so many different partners, um, and then after that record article came out, we quickly just started getting more and more members, more and more people interested. Uh, the the final step before we really um, uh, or a few pieces here, we had we were invited by the Water the Region Community Foundation to join their Housing Innovation Roundtable. And at first it seemed like joining any other committee where we'd show up a few times and, and that was it. Um, but we had the opportunity to learn from a lot of really smart folks as part of that. People from the Region Waterloo's housing team and CMHC, a few local developers. Um, we had the foundations and a few other charities there, some urban planners. And that helped to shift our thinking about what was possible and also where the need was in our community as well. Uh, and. After that, we had an offering document that was approved by our provincial securities regulator. And that allowed us to then go out to the community and say, okay, we're ready to go. We can now raise the funds we need to purchase our first building. And when we started doing that, we were really raising money on an idea. We didn't have a property because we had to wait until we had enough money to go out and go shopping for a property. And yeah, people kept showing up. People in our community, just with their hearts on their sleeves, wanting to have an impact, kept showing up, kept wanting to support us. And then last January, we saw a property come out on the market that seemed a little too big for us, but was exciting all the same. And we approached some foundation partners that we've been talking to over all these years. And we said, you know, what about this property on Lancaster with 58 two bedroom units, the ability to add two or three more units for that we hope can be fully accessible for people with different mobility challenges. And they said, yes. And so we put in an offer and our offer was accepted. We've since learned that uh, a REIT or a real estate investment trust also put in an offer. Uh, so we're able to actually now compete in the open market and bring properties into community ownership. And it was a bit of a bumpy road uh, to get to the point where we were able to close. It took us a little bit longer than we had expected, um, but it was a really great process where we, we learned a lot and we made sure that it was the right fit. And on October 3rd, we purchased our very first property and brought 475 and 477 Lancaster into community ownership.
Amazing. Well, that's so exciting. Massive congratulations. And I mean, I'm sure any type of process like this, any big sort of undertaking, there are going to be bumps in the road. But I mean, the fact that you persevered and started off from this idea, and then now you own these two apartment buildings, 475, 477 Lancaster Street. I mean, that's such a huge achievement. Um, so you said going shopping for buildings. I mean, that's a great way to phrase it. I love it. Like you're going to the mall, picking out a couple of apartment buildings. Tell us about that process. What was it like to go, you know, what were you looking for? What was the, what was the sort of criteria for these type of buildings that you um, wanted to have in the first union cooperative um, housing complex? Yeah, it's a great question. And it certainly changed over time as well. So from our very first business plan back in 2017, we looked at a few properties in downtown that had one commercial unit on the main floor and three or four apartments above. Uh, and we thought that'd be really neat because we could have mixed use where folks would be able to enter the unit and or enter the main floor, be able to interact with it. And we'd create this closed loop of support where the success of the small business and success of our community members would be connected. Uh, ultimately, we learned that you know our community is small and we don't have a whole heck of a lot of mixed use properties with retail on the main floor and residential above. And then at the same time, the residential uh, or the housing crisis started to really accelerate. You know, in this past year alone, the cost of a two bedroom vacant unit has gone up by 26%. So the need shifted as well. Certainly small businesses, nonprofit art organizations still need affordable, predictable spots to call home. We would love eventually to buy a building where Midtown Radio could set up shop, have their own KEXP kind of live studio area. That, how cool would that be? We're going to hold you to that. That yeah. is now in official audio broadcast, so we're yeah, going to hold we'll, you to that. We'll <laughs> add it to the minutes. Let's do it. Let's do um, it. So, you know, that happened, and then we started looking. We found one property, and we put in an offer on it, and it was 18 units, and we thought it was really great. And it just was a little too soon. We weren't quite ready. Um, there was another property that looked great. We put in an offer and we were moving along. And then it turned out that there was some environmental contamination and it was just too much for, for us to take that level of risk with our, our first property. So again, it wasn't the right fit. So we kept shopping. We kept looking to see what would come up. And it's an interesting thing buying existing buildings like this because you never quite know when someone will list something. It's even different than the residential housing market where there's a lot of supply, even when it feels like there isn't. You know, here we're talking about three, four buildings on the market any given month. Yeah. Um, very different sizes as well, very different feels. What was great about this property, what we thought was so wonderful, was that it was large enough we could have a significant impact, um, small enough that we thought we could still buy it. It had the two bedroom units that would allow for families or for for couples getting started for seniors retiring a whole mix of different types of people but the rental rates in here were thirteen hundred dollars a month for a two-bedroom unit the average rent for a vacant two-bedroom unit now while the region according to rentals.ca is twenty three hundred dollars a month wow which is absolutely wild like yeah. i said i'm a lifelong resident i love this place i'm not going anywhere but i don't think we're a twenty three hundred dollar a month town that's, that's wild to hear that. I mean, I remember when I was in university in Peterborough and I paid $1,000 for my two-bedroom apartment right downtown, mm -hmm. utilities included. And I mean, I have a good buddy who is looking to move to the region and 
he tells me about these prices and it's like I can't even fathom the, that level, that, that amount of money going out for rent every single month. Yeah, I can't remember where, where I saw it, so take this with a grain of salt, <laughs> but I saw uh, a report that buying a house in the city of Guelph was the same price as buying a house in L.A. <gasps> and again, Guelph is a wonderful city, but it's not L.A. Yeah. So we need to be thinking, how do we make our communities more accessible? Because one of the reasons why we used to get wonderful folks like you and Sean Gobi, who we mentioned before, and so many others coming to the region, was that we were the cheap, affordable spot to be. And now we're losing great people like your friend who can't come. It's making our community less interesting. So when we think about affordability and the type of affordability that Union Co-op is focused on, you know, there's a big spectrum of, of affordability. If we think of the CMHC definition of not spending more than 30% of your income on rent, you know, every person, whether you're a millionaire or uh, receiving OW or fixed income, everyone has a different point of what affordability is. Now, of course, where we all need to put our attention is the people who have the greatest barriers to accessing housing, the greatest barriers to affordability. But when we think of someone who is an artist or a, a healthcare worker, uh, a low-wage healthcare worker, or someone who's cleaning a hospital, um, someone who is a social worker, you know, these folks are not always making a whole lot of money, even though they're making our community a much better, more interesting, more worthy, more just spot to live. So we need to think as well about, you know, someone who's making minimum wage to a living wage, even $25 an hour, who's struggling to find a spot to live, who's doing, you know, everything they can, is able to live independently, um, but needs some help. And for us, you know, that's, I think, the focus of Union Co-op, to fit in between the fantastic work being done by the region of Waterloo and charities to build new affordable housing units and the private sector as well which serves a different chunk of the market, but there's a different type of missing middle. We often think of missing mi middle as single family homes and skyscrapers, but there's deeply affordable units in the market and we need more of those spots in between because when we lose those units, it creates more downward pressure on the social housing system because people have nowhere to go. People who previously were looking at buying a single family home are now renting longer and that's okay. You're making the decision that's best for you and your family. I'm a renter myself. But it means that those units that would have been rented otherwise are now able to keep going up in price. So we need to think about what are these different opportunities for keeping our community fun, interesting, just, and affordable. And we hope that Union Cooperative will be one of those tools. So now you have these two buildings. Let's talk about the next steps, because I mean, this is obviously a, a great achievement. But then, you know, you wake up the next morning after purchasing these two buildings, and now you own these buildings. What's next for Union Cooperative? Yeah, so we are focusing right now on making sure that we're, we're doing things right. We're making sure that everything's moving smoothly, that we're living up to our commitment to the folks who call these properties home. So there's also a few steps to take in terms of finalizing our our mortgage and working with CMHC on that. We've approached the region of Waterloo about opportunities where we may be able to work together to offer even more discounted rents that, you know, rather than go out and purchase more properties or build new properties, here are these units that are in community ownership. How do we work together to bring the rents down from $1,300 a month to have a portion of them at $1,000 a month? Um, so we're working on those pieces as well. Uh, I've been working today on a survey that's going out to the people who live at the property to ask, what do you like, not like, and like to see changed about the property? You know, what a, 
uh, as, as important as it is to have affordable units, it's also really important to push beyond that, to think that rental doesn't have to be a stepping stone until you can do something else. And rental doesn't have to be paying someone else's mortgage. It can be a different way that you choose to live. And with that, we have to think, you know, what are the things that people want to see changed? Well, like everyone else, they want to have some input and control over what happens to their home. You know, here at this property, we have a bunch of unused green space. Do people want to see a park or a fire pit? There's some forested area in the back that can't be built on that's just scrubbed right now. Do people want to see a little walking trail through there or to clean it up and do something different with it? There's an unused area that we could turn into three new uh, accessible units. Or do we put in two and have one as a community space? So thinking about these and actually asking people what they want is an important piece. We're also reaching out to a few community organizations as well to have conversations and work together on progressive policies about renting. So for example, if you are going to try and, and be accessible to folks who are new in Canada, who don't have a credit history or landlord history, or to someone who is coming out of a shelter system, when we know that landlords typically are less likely to rent to somebody if they see that the call is coming from a shelter. You know, if you're not using these traditional screens to select a tenant, what do you use instead? We know that uh, when tenants struggle financially, that often a landlord moves to evict them. What is an alternative instead? How do we make sure that tenants know of the resources that are available to them and make sure that, for example, in case there's a argument or a conflict between two neighbors, that rather than moving to evict one, we bring in a group like Community Justice Initiatives to facilitate a conversation and see if a, a solution can be arised so that no one's losing their housing. So those are some of the next steps as well as to think, you know, how do we move from being a landlord to a, a community housing provider and do that by asking people what it is that they want to see. But of course, our mission and mandate is to buy residential and commercial properties, plural. So we are looking in the future as well, hopefully not too far out a year or two from now coming back on this show here and talking about property number two. You're welcome to come on this show anytime. And that's especially if there's an amazing announcement like that. That sounds like a lot of work and kudos to your whole team for um, putting this all together. And I mean, we are going to keep tracking um, all the developments with these properties. And you're more than welcome to come onto the show anytime you want to talk about any updates, um, any any news that's coming from Union Cooperative. We're happy to have you. Sean, thank you so much for joining Midtown Conversations today. Um, before I let you go, is there anything else you want to tell the community about the project? Well, thank you so much for inviting me on to your show. It's been a lot of fun. And before we were chatting about all sorts of other different co-op connections as well. So it's always great meeting someone else who's in the co-op and community building space and the great work that uh, you folks at Midtown are doing too to create community in a different way, which is also really important. I will just end it by saying that if anyone would like to learn more about Union Cooperative, they can go to our website at unionsd.coop, so Union Sustainable Development, uh, or unionsd as in sustainable development.coop, C-O-O-P. And you can find out more about how to get involved, whether you would like to join as a member and help to make decisions and help us grow, uh, or just to share more information about the co-op or suggest ideas as well. There are many ways to support. And of course, there are so many other organizations in town working really hard 
including great groups like Indwell and Menno Homes. So, so many different ways that you can choose to support affordable housing in our community. And I saw that Menno Homes tweeted today that you are going to be sort of neighbors right down the, the block there. Yeah. So it goes us and then a wood-fired bakery that sells amazing bread and then them. So we're thinking that sometime in the summer, we might have to have a pizza party or a barbecue. Oh, absolutely. And we will make sure to get the word out about that. And I myself will be 100% there. Just let me know date you and time. You are invited. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much, Sean Campbell. We really appreciate having you on and we look forward to having you back in the future. Thank you so much.